there's this there's this sort of distilling down of all other moments of all other experiences to what's happening right now in the visceral experience in the sensual experience of this present moment this is the redeemed imagination podcast a podcast of the anselm society on re-enchanting the church Hi, everyone. Welcome to a little bonus session of Imagination Redeemed. After that fascinating conversation with Corey about uh, Bergson's ideas of time influencing modernist literature, we thought it would be a good idea to give you a little bit of an example of what we mean. It's pretty easy for some of these conversations to be really high level, and it's hard to pull them down into, okay, where are we seeing this in the literature? So we thought um, for this very short bonus episode, we would take you into the poem, The Four Quartets, which was T.S. Eliot's last poem that he wrote um, significantly after his conversion to Anglicanism. This is, this is a, his, um, his synthesis poem. It's where he attempts to take the, the, the techniques that define the wasteland, this fragmentation, this very stream of consciousness, these things that don't feel like classical poetry at all, and take these techniques and, and merge them with his new Christian faith as closely as possible. So within the poem, The Four Quartets, there are four poems. We're going to take a peek at number two, which is called East Coker. In section one of East Coker, we're going to look at one small section, which I will read aloud right now. In that open field, if you do not come too close, if you do not come too close on a summer midnight, you can hear the music of the weak pipe and the little drum and see them dancing around the bonfire, the association of man and woman in dancing, signifying matrimony, a dignified and commodious sacrament. Two and two necessary conjunction, holding each other by the hand or the arm, which betokeneth concord. Round and round the fire, leaping through the flames or joined in circles, rustically solemn or in rustic laughter, lifting heavy feet in clumsy shoes, earth feet, loam feet, lifted in country mirth, mirth of those long since under earth, nourishing the corn, keeping time, mm. keeping the rhythm in their dancing as in their living in the living seasons, the time of the seasons and the constellations, the time of milking and the time of harvest, the time of the coupling of man and woman and that of beasts, feet rising and falling, eating and drinking, dung and death. Dawn points, and another day prepares for heat and silence. Out at sea, the dawn wind wrinkles and slides. I am here, or there, or elsewhere, in my beginning. So that is just a small section from the four quartets, but it's pretty representative of the feel especially of East Coker and Little Gidding, numbers two and four, which are kind of the the way the poem arcs, there's a um there's the the 
sections one and three are a little bit more, this is so generalized, I hate to do it, but they're a little bit more of a, let's break down our experience. Let's see where it's fragmented. Let's see those sharp edges scraping against each other. And then sections two and four make an attempt to harmonize, not being the right word, but just sort of make sense um, and accumulate those experiences in a way that we can see a proper relation between them. So this is one of those more accumulating sections, um, which is, I think, a good place to look at. But even within it, you can see it's it's very fragmented. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And there isn't really, I mean, just for those of you keeping track at home, there wasn't a lot in the section previous to this that grounded us. Um, it gives us a little bit of a setting. He says, in my beginning is my end, describes an open field that he's in, the dawn, the sun sets, and then in that open field. There we are. Um, so there's a lot of directions we can go, but I'd love for Corey to just talk to us. Maybe use this section as an example of Bergsonian time, theology of time stuff, and let us see a little bit of that, what we've been talking about um, shining through and give us a sense of how this poem itself could change the way that we live our lives tomorrow or right now. What do you think? Yeah. Love that. Um, I'm putting on the spot too. <laughs> Thank you for being game. <laughs> well, interesting to, you know, that this obviously is a, a part of a larger whole and one refrain in East Coker is in my beginning is my end. Mm-hmm. And right after that in succession. Um, and then, you know, toward the end of the, actually the very end, of uh, section one, he repeats the refrain in my beginning. So there is this sort of cyclical feel to this uh, particular section. That theme comes up a few times in, in the poem. Um, you know, for some, I think it's important to say for an author to be influenced by another author or a thinker, or for example, when, when Alden wrote Kairos and Lagos, he had just read a theological work by Tillich. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. But he, he sort of disagrees with Tillich, right? So just because, yeah, like you can be influenced obviously by, as a matter of fact, uh, one of Bergson's books that he hammered out immediately after meeting Einstein or he hammered it out immediately after Einstein. Uh, he had this debate with Einstein 22 and then essentially went home and just, you know, plowed out this, um, this book on, uh, on furthering his, his ideas of duration. I think you can see some of Bergson's influence in Elliot here just because of the preoccupation with time. And there is this sense of like cyclical time, uh, all fine. I almost imagine like, you know, the beginning of, uh, the, the second coming by Yates mm-hmm. turning and turning in the widening gyre. There is this mm-hmm. almost this sense of like cyclical time sort of, I, I almost see it funneling, right. Funneling down. Mm into this I am here moment because so, so often in, in four quartets, Elliot wants to bring us back to that always present. So yeah. it goes to this beautiful, it goes to this beautiful natural like cascade of images. Uh, some are midnight and there's music and there's dancing around the bonfire. And then it gets down to this you know, like milking and harvest and the coupling and that of beast and feet rising and falling, and eating and drinking. And it's very, pastoral and pathological and very visceral. And it's just, it's just sort of 
it's just life, right? I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. he's, he's yeah. taking this experience of life. And I, I think if you had to boil Bergson down to his the most simplified understanding of of what he's trying to do in all his works on time, it would you could sort of say it this way: time is life. Time is about experience. It's about he even says that time is action. Bergson does. Uh, there's this there's this sort of distilling down of all other moments of all other experiences into what's happening right now in the visceral experience mm-hmm. in the sensual experience of this present moment. So this, I am here. Yeah. In, in this, in this, like I, I could do it right now. Like that lamp is on these books are here. My coffee tastes like that. Right. And I am here. Like that is quintessentially Burke's on. That's lovely. And I, I, I want people, um, if you're not looking at the poem, there's a spelling thing that's really important. Um, so when we start, when he starts describing the dance here around the bonfire, which the dance in the four quartets, he, he borrows it from Dante, and it's a symbol of paradise, um, which in Dante is that that hierarchical stacking funnel imagery with the the center of the funnel being God. Um, so I, I love your 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 image there. That's really beautiful. So you've got this dance here. And as the dance begins, um, he starts using archaic spellings. So dancing, he has it spelled D-A-U-N-S-I-G-N-G-E. And he does that throughout. So he's clearly signaling that Mm. as the sun is setting, as the day is ending, the day that we experience as it's busyness, it's packed, we're doing things we're just, we're kind of swept along by time. The day is ended, the sun is set, and we're slipping into a different mode of time mm-hmm. here where the past is immediately present. So I think there, yeah. there's this mingling here between the past and the present. And then you get this beautiful moment where they're, they're, we, he brings us to where they are long since under earth, nourishing the corn. These dancers are dead and it says nourishing the corn, keeping time, yep. keeping the rhythm in their dancing. So even in their death, they are somehow still abiding in time in a fascinating way. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, that, yeah. that moment where he pairs this eternal presence of keeping time and the dance right with death. How do we think about that? Yeah, so it's interesting, the idea of dancing. Uh, so Bergson had this, uh, he would often try to, you know, ground his philosophy in like real lived experiences, right? And um, one of the things uh, that he thought was um, really practical, we all we all experience it, but also very kind of part and parcel of his philosophy was uh, laughter, Hmm. And I sort of that made me think of that with dancing because it like say if I tell a joke right now and Brian chuckles right or 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 I just said something you went hmm there's a (laughs) spontaneity to that act that represents the kind of nimbleness with which we exist in time or time exists in us like the, the the present moment the felt experience of the present moment is um, I wouldn't use the word measured with Bergson, uh, is evidenced by our spontaneity in it and to it. So something like, 
uh, Bergson has this real fascination with music as well that you can, you can chart music, right? I mean, you can sort of say, okay, it's, it's, uh, beats and a rhythm keeping time. Like what kind of what music is, but that's not what music is. Like it's, it's this felt beautiful experience. And he would, he would liken that analogy to what like Einstein was doing time with versus what he was doing with time, but something like dancing or, or laughter, is to uh, I think in a, I think it's safe to say to Bergson is the epitome of what it means to access and activate and live in the animated present. Hmm. So you can't really have time, like you can't talk about time from a Bergsonian perspective if nothing is happening. It's got it's something has got to be happening because the Elan Vital, the life impulse, the the force of duration produces action. So it produces the dance. It produces laughter. We dance with time in the present as we engage in spontaneity. So all the fact that Eliot constellates me, I love that, that he puts that word constellation there. There's also a, a really uh, important thinker for early 20th century, Walter Benjamin, who talks about meaning happening in constellations, Like not, not no one thing is meaningful. It's only meaningful mm. in a constellation of things I, that came up seeing that word. But um, the fact that there's this constellation of activity grounded in this I am here as the past sort of flows into the present. It's just this beautiful display of, I think, I think Bergson would delight to see because that's exactly how we know time is working in us because there is a hmm or a laughter or a dance. Yeah. So then talk to us a little bit about that enjambment there where he, he, he says wrinkles and slides. I am here. Next line is or there or elsewhere. What is Elliot doing there? Would you say is he is he is it a moment where he uh, he achieves this sense of time that is true and present, and then he questions himself, or is it there is actually some kind of a dissipation across time when we are present, fully present? Yeah, it's interesting. Later in in East Coker, you know, there are other moments where you could almost say the like the. I'd put it this way. The experience of the speaker is in jeopardy, right? Or the yes. experience is in peril. Mm-hmm. And it's not that this experience is going to be lost, but there is a kind of slipping or sliding in and out of, I don't want to speak too strongly because this is he's not trying to do hard and fast theology here, right? But like there is this sort of slipping in and out of absolute truth. Or, well, this is the one where he says, I shall say it again. Shall I say it again? Yes, yes. Where he has, he, he's even questioning himself visibly right. within the poem. That's right. That's exactly it. So there is this, I think, felt experience. Uh, you know, like the houses are all gone under the sea. The dancers are all gone under the hill. Oh, dark, dark, dark. Like there is this kind of... Uh, you can almost imagine like light coming through a tree and you sort of you, you sort of look at on the ground at the shadow and you'll have like a patch of light and a patch of shadow and a patch of light and a patch of shadow. Like there mm-hmm. is a sort of dancing in the in the in the pattern, right? Like at times he seems to be really centered because later on he's gonna sort of land the plane a little bit more, right? And and there is a bit mm-hmm. of settling into this beautiful always present. But now it's like a foot in the shadow and a foot in the light and a foot in the shadow and a foot in the light. And he does seem to the speaker does seem to sort of lose the experience only to, to it, it pendulums, right? It's sort of like like a like a verb out of that. Like there's this sense of swinging experience, I think. 
Um, mm-hmm. And even even with the oscillation of time too, because if if life is lived in the present, uh, and and I think Elliot believes that, obviously taking into account the importance of the past, there is this sort of circularity and this sort of uh, meandering, like the the beginning being the end and the end being you know where he's sort of he's kind of just sort of swirling around again. Um. Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke has this great image uh, where he talks about himself as sort of being this this bird uh, orbiting and, and and going around a tower, right? And he likens that yes. to our experience with God. Yes. And that's, that's mm-hmm. almost what I see Elliot doing. Okay. Okay. Oh, that, okay. That was really fun. We could go through the whole rest of the poem because I really want to ask you about the line after the photograph album where then he says love is most nearly itself when here and now oh. cease to matter. Yeah. But I don't know if we have time. <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> Brian says no. Okay. So here's what we're going to do, Corey. We're going to email about this because this is fascinating. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, I kind of like this. Uh, put someone on the spot and make them do a close reading of a very challenging poem. But hopefully that helps our listeners. um, If you do feel drawn to these poems and you want to sit down and explore them yourselves, I hope that that gives you a quick sense of what to look for, how to read these things. And just, um, you can see, I liked the word pendulum. If you feel the emotional pull going back and forth, that's correct. You're not reading it wrong. So um, yeah, hopefully that will, Hopefully that will just help you all feel a little more equipped to go straight to the to the poems here and explore them. I would say one thing too. One, one thing to add is what we just did with the text. I think I would encourage readers, especially with these difficult texts, like good reading of literature is is a team sport. Oftentimes, like it's it's done, it's done conversationally. Like just me alone with Plato's Symposium is going to be a bad day. Like I'm going to, I'm going to need to, I'm going to get a lot of good stuff and I'm going to have a lot of questions that I will not be able to answer myself. So good research is conversation with other people, but good conversation is good conversation with other people too, right? The ideas of the text has become so much more animated when we hash them out. hundred percent. Yeah.